So Nehemiah 2, verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. And this is God's word. Good morning. Before we uh, start with the message, let's uh, pray. Dear Lord, you're an awesome God. You're the same God that uh, delivered Nehemiah to do his great task you put on his heart. And uh, dear Lord, you still come today and give us great tasks. And you are enabling us to do those when we rely on you. Dear Lord, we pray as a We review this part of the book of Nehemiah and that you'll speak to us. Dear Lord, I pray that you'll speak to each person that listens today and that they would hear your call in their life. And we pray that, dear Lord, that you'll speak through me and uh, prevent me from being in the way. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, John, for uh, reading the scripture, just um, we're talking about rebuilding the wall today, but just to recap a few things, Nehemiah was a Jew, and he believed in God as understood by the Jewish people, and they were in captivity in what is now called Persia. At that time, the best and brightest young Jewish men were um, taught the language and the literature of the captors and forced to work for the captors, often as officials in the government, as we saw with Daniel and his friends. God, through his prophets, have commanded the Jews also to engage in their community where they lived and served and benefit that community. Nehemiah, we heard already, was the cupbearer to the king and had a very high standing. 
and was in a position of trust. But he had a nice cushy job and probably lived in the uh, palace compound and had no material needs. And to get Nehemiah out of his complacency of just doing his job every day and being comfortable, God had to break his heart. He sent someone from, who has been to Jerusalem to tell him about the state of Jerusalem, the, the city itself, and the people. And God breaks his heart for God's people, for God's glory, and for Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah wrestled with this issue for about four months till he was ready to put his life on the line and bring this issue to the king. His first response was to go to God in prayer and not just, may you help me, God. He pleaded with God to intervene for his people and to change the heart of the king. And his prayer begins, like we've talked about the 100 days of prayer, by repenting of his sin and the sin of his people. He acknowledges that what has happened to his people was because of their failure to following God. But they also knew that it was their only hope. In response to this prayer and God intervening and touching the heart of this, uh, this captor king, his heart was changed and he sends Nehemiah to go and rebuild the, the wall. And not only that, he gives him a letter to, in order for him to get the provisions he needs to build the wall. And he doesn't stop with that. He sends him with a guard, an armed guard, not just with the lowest of rank people, but officers of the army and horsemen. Then Nehemiah rode his donkey or walked 900 miles, which is 1,500 kilometers through the desert. And we don't get any details of that, but uh, that would have been tough. And the whole time he was looking forward to seeing Jerusalem for the first time. As we've heard before in messages before, they've been at least three generations out of Jerusalem. And he couldn't wait to see Jerusalem. And then when he eventually saw it, his disillusionment and his disappointment to see this broken city and his people living amongst the rubble. We remember that Jerusalem was the royal city of David. That's where God's temple was, and the home of the Jewish people. Identity was closely related to that. And we also remember that, and as Nehemiah confessed, that Moses told them if they follow God, they will be blessed. If they don't obey God, they would greatly suffer. And he saw the evidence in front of them. And we know in the Bible we see in uh, Psalm 137 how precious uh, Jerusalem was to the Jewish people. And I'll read you a part of the psalm, Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, here we sat down and wept. When we remember Zion, on the willows there, we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skills. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare. 
down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be the ones who takes your little ones. So we can see the anguish and the allegiance they have with Jerusalem. And now this Jerusalem was broken. It was a bad situation. Not just that the city didn't have walls, but the people were vulnerable. They were living amongst enemies that could take advantage of them, rob them, kill them, and they, they lived in constant fear. Just as a reminder, why, do city, why did cities have walls in the first place? And these cities in the old days, if they were a, a fortified city, they could build a community, they could have a leader, they could go out in war, they can come back, protect themselves, because other um, enemies couldn't come in. And um, so why did the enemies not just capture them, take what they needed, and, and left the city alone? No, the reason they broke the wall is to show them contempt, to break up a community, and they didn't want them to come back together because that might cause them uh, opposition. So Nehemiah, as we come in today's passage, came to Jerusalem and spent three days at Jerusalem. I presume he had to get some of his emotions under control, get to know the people, get to know the state of mind they have, get to assess the damage properly, and to see what work there was to be done. In these three days, gave him opportunity to do, do four looks. Look around to see what the situation was, what the reality was. Look forward to see what he needed to do to accomplish this task. Look within to see how his relationship is with God and if he trusted God to have this happen. And then ultimately look upward to trust in God and put this task in his hands. So Nehemiah knew he had a very special task and he had to plan how to execute it properly. He had to make a thorough assessment and gives us assessment and a solution to the people. Therefore, he got up at nighttime and in secret went to do his research. He only took a, few small, a small group of people with him and didn't tell all the officials because he didn't want to be interfered with and not being able to, to complete his, uh, mes- uh, his uh, mission. Under cover of darkness with his uh, donkey, it says, and it could be that the donkey could see better than him in the dark so that he can go where he needed to go. And you see, he did every place. He went even to the dung gate, like he didn't leave any stone unturned to get the full assessment. Once he had the full assessment, he presented it to the people. He explained to them again that they might be in a more dire situation than they thought they were. They were vulnerable, exposed. They probably were in a poor frame of mind and anxious for their safety. And he noticed that they were just living amongst the rubble without doing something about it. And he said the only way out here would be to rebuild the wall. And the important thing too, he says, it's not just that I came up with this idea. God sent me, and this is what God told me. But if you didn't believe me yet, your foreign king, the captor, God changed his heart, and that's what he did. He sent me, he gave me the ability to do that. He sent me a, a letter and to enable to get us all the supplies we need. So once the people understood 
the situation, the solution, and it's God-driven, they were ready to get to work. But as they started working, the enemies noted that and were concerned because suddenly now this Jewish nation that were exposed to them, to their will, and to be able to, um, to robbed and, and uh, had no um, defense, could again become powerful, can become a people again, become a nation, a community, and can start attending the temple and become a powerful nation under God again, which is a, a threat to them. And they were using a, a, um, a possibly effective tactic that could have worked on other people. They said, well, this looks like treason. You are rebelling against the king. And in those days, the penalty of treason was death and likely the destruction of their city. But Nehemiah stood up as in his godly leadership, told the people, the enemies, that only, the, the only true God is with them and will give them success. And they will do God's will in spite of the opposition, and they will be able to rebuild this. And once they rebuild Jerusalem, these enemies will not have any part of that. As we review all this, the key to Nehemiah's success was that he was depending on God. Irrespective of the challenges, the big job, the enemies, he knew God called him to a task, and God will give him the success. So what can we learn from this passage? We'll go through the different steps. Is we need to be good citizens in the world. We need to be good people in our neighborhood, good, good um, neighbors and God's representatives. But as we live in this world, we also have to evaluate the rubble around us. And there is a lot of rubble, as we can see around us, and we should never accept it as normal. Unfortunately, a lot of us are, make ourselves pretty comfortable in what we do and where we sit, and we can go to church and we can attend certain things, we can read our Bible, but unfortunately, it is true, just as it was for Nehemiah, that unless God breaks your heart, it's unlikely that you get moved. We live amongst a community and friends and people that are destined to go to hell. And God wants to break your heart and allow you to move to the purpose he's called you. And just as with Nehemiah, when you get that call, the first thing you need to do is to go to God in prayer to confess, confess your sinfulness, repent of it, and get right with God. God is our only hope. For God to use us, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit and not walk in the weakness of our flesh. Galatians 5.17 tells us, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Very clearly, we need to be in the spirit to be able to do what we need to do. In the flesh, we will not be able to do so. And when God calls us and sends us, we will succeed. When God gives us something to say or do, just like Esther, it could cost our lives at some stages, but we need to be obedient for the sake of his kingdom and his glory. God gives us tasks to do, and often that we're not qualified to do. 
We see Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He had no clue about building walls, but God gave him a mission, and they might have been builders amongst the people and the Jews, but they needed a leader and someone to show them the leadership that God wanted to have for them. It's been said that God does not call the gifted, but he gifts the called. So if we heed his call, he will gift us for the job. There are occasions where one should keep what God has called in secret, like we say here, for a, for a, a period of time in order to be able to fulfill your research or whatever you need to do. And we also need to spend time to understand the task at hand, assess the situation, do our homework, look at the whole picture, count the cost for our mission or the mission of our church. And the main thing is to obey God, get the, your directions from him, and since Christ is our Lord, decisions must be made um, on the basis of what the Bible says, leaded by the Holy Spirit, and it can never transgress the principles of the Bible. As we noticed before, it involves risk, but God will uh, take care of that. Again, for us, we need to do the look around to see what's around us, what the situation is looking to what we need to do to accomplish the task gave, God gave us, to look within to see the relationship we have with God and if we trust him for this task, and then looking to God for direction and, and success. It's always good to small, start with a small group of people, like-minded, like Nehemiah might have done here. Um, that's part of having a small groups, and unfortunately it's a lot harder these days. But a group of people that you can be accountable to, that can check your motives, that can check your heart to help you to do the right thing. And when we do the right thing, we know the enemy will be upset and want to foil our plans. We live in a post-Christian world with a very liberal agenda, and everything is very self-centered. And anything that confronts a society or a person with the reality of a God that you might need to be accountable to is very offensive to people. In Acts 4 you read, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And that is a clearly very offensive message. Because this name is Jesus Christ. And as Christians... We should still not be known for what we stand against, but what we stand for. When we obey God and we get negative uh, reactions on social media or jeers or cold shoulders, we should still rejoice that we are allowed to suffer for his sake. We must align ourselves with people that are like-minded and work walking with God closely. And we also need to have an intimate relationship with God so that we can hear from God when he speaks to us. And that only happens if we make time every day to hear from God. In this daily time, we need to read his word and pray. We can mark, make our heart's desire known to God. But it's important, important that we take time to hear from God. Hebrews 4 talk about the Bible, the, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, 
of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. If we read the Bible as, as a mirror, even God will reveal to you what you need to know if you take the time to listen. And when we hear from God, it's, we need to obey and not modify the task, but to do it as he asked us to do it. And when we minister to people that God has broken our heart for, we often, and we talked about this morning, we want to see action, but we need to be patient. We need to trust God. We can give our testimony to people, but God has to do a miracle in people's heart to make them change their mind and to follow Christ. And all we do, we need to be prayerful and careful not to please people instead of God. We cannot adjust the message of God to, in order to please the community around us. We have to make sure the gospel changed them. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Ourselves shouldn't be sucked into the things of the world, but we should be transformed by the renewal of our mind, by the inworking of the Holy Spirit. And dear brother and sister, God has called you for a purpose, each one of us that are his children. And he needs to break your heart for the purpose he has called you for. In Romans 8, 28, we read, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We love the first part of that verse, that God is, you know, everything will work out for us that love God. But we read the full passage, he said, for those who are called according to his purpose. So there's a responsibility part in this, and that is that God's called you for a purpose. He will make things work out for the best, but you need to fulfill his purpose. God probably won't call you to rebuild the walls of a city, but he has a, he has a task for you, a purpose for you, and you need to find out what it is. I pray that your devotions and your time with God would be so rich that you'll be able to hear and discern his voice. That God will delight in you and bless you as you obey him and bring glory to his name. Matt read about Esther, but it's such an important um, principle here that I'm going to read Esther 4 again from verse 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that the king's palace in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther replied to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat and drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. 
Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. These key phrases of, um, for such a time as this, and if I perish, I perish, those things should resonate in our mind. We know that God put Esther in the palace for a specific time and a specific purpose. And she accepted the challenge and put her life on the line. We saw today as well, and for the previous chapters too, Nehemiah had this call, and he was put in a special place in a special time for a special purpose. And I believe God has put each one of us at a special place in a special time for a special purpose. We, ha- we live in a, in a community. I don't need to tell you that most people are not going to heaven. And he's calling you to break your heart to, for a community, for a group, for an individual. And he wants you to pray for someone and he wants you to reach out. And if you go with God, he will equip you and bless you. And if God calls you to a task, he guarantees success. The success might not look like what we had in mind, but it would be God's will, and God's will is always better than ours. And when we minister to people, we need to closely walk with Jesus in order to guide them and direct them. And we need to speak the truth in love. And we need to use the Bible so that God can speak to them. We have this testimony about the Word of God in Isaiah 55, from verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I have purposed, and I shall, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So when people read the word of God and the Holy Spirit will use it to do that miracle in their lives. So, dear brother and sister, we have another message here from Nehemiah and God keeps on speaking to us. And I believe that there's a lesson for each one of us. God's calling each one of you with a purpose. He called you to give you salvation, but he's called you to a task. And our mission as a church and our responsibility individually, as well as, as we have as our uh, mission statement, that we need to passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you that you have said where two or three gather together, that you will be there. And we know that you are not restricted by time and space. We pray, dear Lord, that uh, each one would hear from you today, and we just thank you for having called us to be your children, giving us not just salvation, but a relationship with you and the Holy Spirit uh, in our hearts. We pray, dear Lord, that we will be sure to make time to spend with you. Let me make time to pray, and we also make time to hear. 
And dear Lord, we pray that we will hear the call on our lives and that we will surrender our lives, that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices in order to serve you. And we pray, dear Lord, that uh, you will get, be with each one that uh, is struggling and each one that need help, that your people will be able to fill that gap. In your name we pray. Amen.